Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of it all. I'm Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. We're headed back to Alberta again this week for a chat with another of my favorite songwriters and people. This guy has crossed Canada delivering joy more times than Santa Claus, and he has a lengthy resume of incredible songs and unbelievable stories to share. My name is Mike Plume, and I am a singer-songwriter ne'er-do-well. Mike Plume is one of the most glaring examples of the unfair nature of the music industry. You'd like to believe that if you have immense talent and appeal and work really, really hard, you'd be able to become a major star. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes an artist just grinds away, developing a rabid following outside of the mainstream, but never quite reaching that level of fame. Don't get me wrong, Mike has been successful. He's known and loved by many. But for my money, he has written some of the best songs and put out some of the best albums this country has ever produced. For years, he led one of the best live bands on the planet, and they were willing to play anywhere and everywhere, and they did. Mike, along with his oldest friend and drummer, Ernie Basiliadis, along with guitar slinger phenom Dave Klim, and a couple of bass players, most notably Derek Masaryk, were and still are known as Mike Plume Band. In their most active years, from 1997 to 2002, they were fixtures in bars, theaters, and at festivals across Canada. They toured the U.S. and across Europe, performing up to 250 shows in a year. Their shows and albums at the time, I believe, stand right alongside some of the biggest bands in Canada, like Blue Rodeo and The Tragically Hip. But Mike never got the big-scale audiences or the acclaim that Jim Cuddy, Greg Keeler, and Gord Downey did. He ran into just about every roadblock you can imagine. He had terrible management, deals that never really got panned out. He got ripped off. He had opportunities that, through no fault of his own, didn't work out. The band recorded an album called Fools for the Radio. It should have catapulted them into the upper echelon of Canadian bands, but it had the unfortunate circumstance of being released on September 11th, 2001. And there are countless incredible stories, many of which you can read and you should read at Mike's website, mikeplume.com. I hear he's even got a book coming. Eventually, he cut back on the touring. He married the love of his life, another super talented singer-songwriter named Jenny Ornstein, and kind of settled down into a quieter life. They have a wonderful daughter named Ruby, who's blossoming into a major musical talent. Watch out for her, trust me. But the songs keep coming, the stories keep getting written, and the stage keeps calling, and Mike keeps churning out powerful recordings. His latest album, Lonesome Stretch of Highway, again had the unfortunate circumstance of being released right at the beginning of a global pandemic. He took a day job to help pay the bills while he couldn't tour, and the interview and training process helped him to realize and face that he'd been living with an undiagnosed learning disability since grade 5. Never one to just sit around, Mike became one of the bright lights of online streaming shows over the past year and a half. He did some of the best live broadcasts once or twice a week for nearly a year. Needless to say, Mike and I had a lot to talk about, and we always do. I know you'll enjoy this funny, touching conversation with Mike Plume. 
Mike, uh, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, you know, I've said dumb things to you before, and you've forgiven me. So ho- hopefully, you won't take this the wrong way. Um, of course, how could I? Um, uh, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put the positive first. I think you've had an amazing career, and uh, hopefully, you agree with me that you've been, you've been blessed with, uh, you know, some success and people liking your music and getting to play music all over the place. But uh, to me, you've always been the, the, the best example of how completely unfair the music industry is because um for for my money you know one of the best songwriters out there definitely one of the best storytellers and showmen out there and for some reason you know you're you're still not 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 as big as i as big as you are in my heart i suppose you're you're still not filling the big rooms and stuff you know it, it used to been i used to get way more bent out of shape uh, about that kind of stuff than I do now. I just try not to worry about it, man. Um, you know, excuses are for losers, and those who are good at excuses are good are very good at little else. You know, so I'm just not. But the thing is, I just feel like none of it is your fault. Like none of you've had some crazy, crazy, crazy things that have happened to you over the course of your career <laughs> that would have stopped any mere mortal dead in their tracks, like some of the weird right. things that have happened to you, the kind of the weird setbacks and obstacles. I mean, releasing albums mm-hmm. on nine 11 and then on the eve of a friggin' pandemic. pandemic. And like <laughs> like <laughs> you, you just seem to have this, this bad luck following you around, but somehow, Maybe. somehow I just, uh, you know, I, 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 and I guess partly it's just a compliment, but, but I'm so glad that you're still out there doing it because I know that I would have quit so long ago. <sighs> Man, I appreciate that, Jeff. And I, I, you know, there's, there's probably not, you know, a dozen times a day where I don't ponder walking away. <laughs> you know, when it's like, yeah, how, how much is it for a fucking latte? Oh man, you start questioning every 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 career decision you've made. The guy who started playing music, um, like if if he had heard your story, you know, when, when he was starting out, first of all, do you think he would have been pleased with how much you've been able to accomplish? Do you, do you think he would have been happy with this life in music, and or do you think he would have he would have quit and gone and done something else? Yeah, I, um, I don't. I don't know. Um, did I did I think I would be like, you know, you know, achieving like Motley Crue status by now? Yes, because <laughs> they, they were they girls, girls, girls. They, oh man, that was my north star. <laughs> I am telling you right now, that was my like theater of pain was my north star. <laughs> um, so. You know, in my head, I was just—I just figured everybody would play state. You play stadiums, all everybody does. That's what—that's what just what happens. Um, but I have managed to just sort of plod along. I was out—I went out for for um, dinner the last time I played Saskatoon, which was now over, you know, about two and a half years ago. But I went with a buddy of mine, who um, I was the singer in his band, and he fired me back in 1987. <laughs> And he said, he goes, I just, he goes, I don't know what the hell, um, 
how how you haven't quit by now? He goes, you you he says, he goes like I don't know how I don't know. He goes basically kind of what you just said. Like anybody else would have said, the hell with this. I'm gonna do something else. And um and it just and I was talking and, and I was talking with a friend of mine today about that very thing. I said he goes, did it bother you when you were fired from all those bands? I said, no, I just I just it just never even bothered never even never even caused me a second of like self-doubt i just like yeah I just keep moving forward you know i just i remember once reading like and there was an interview with like i think it was like rem and they were talking about when they sit would sit down to write an album and he, they said like we basically just sort of start talking about what we don't want to do and whatever's left is what is what we should do and um and that's kind of the way i just sort of sort of learned, I just sort of, I mean, it wasn't by design, but I just, I could sort of, I can look back and see that pretty much anything that, you know, um, well, I, I figured out what it was that I couldn't do and whatever was left, I was okay at. But sadly, I had to learn what I couldn't do in front of a paying audience, you know? <laughs> well, Jesus, I guess I shouldn't, that's the last time I sing the immigrant song. <laughs> But it just—it's never bothered me. It, uh, there, no, no, listen, there are parts of it that that bother me. And do I wish that things, um, you know, uh, have unfolded differently? Yeah. But do I think things are done unfolding? No. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, the, you still seem to have this drive to write your best song and put out your best record and do your best show and. Like is that is that the thing that keeps going you or is it just like such a habit by now that you like what is it what is it that keeps you putting up with the shit and like you know sinking money into this thing? <laughs> oh yeah, well don't even talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah. My accountant said that I wasn't losing money quick enough last year, so I said, "Hey, I got an idea. I'm gonna dump about thirty-five grand into merchandise at the peak of a pandemic, so I, that I can't back, so I can't recoup." <laughs> Solid business practices. That's it, man. It's just, it's. I don't know, man. I, but I, I still, I like. I was listening to. Uh, we were listening to again. A friend of mine was over today. We're having a cup of coffee, and we were listening to John Hammond Jr.'s uh, Tom Waits album. The Wicked, Wicked Grin. Grin, yeah. I love that record. And, oh, my God. And we're just marveling at it. And, and marveling at the performance in John Hammond, but just marveling at at the songwriting um, of Tom Waits. You know, uh, uh, was that a raindrop or a tear in your eye where you're drying your nails or just waving goodbye? And I can't quit until I write a line that good. You know what I mean? And, 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 and so that stuff still excites me. Thank God. Cause there, there really is, there's a million reasons why you should quit. Right. But like that kind of stuff excites me. Like when I read, like, I don't know, like a, a just a sentence by Larry McMurtry, I just marvel. I'm like, Oh my God, that is, how does, how does, how does somebody write something that perfect? You know? And so, to say that I am uh, actively chasing that would be an understatement, you know, but I am not, I am not um, remotely disenchanted. Um, maybe I'm just like this. I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe I should, but I'm just not. 
I mean, I hear about people quitting all the time and just going, you know what, I've had enough, or they just, you know, kind of shuffle off and do their summer holiday tour or whatever it is. And and I never blame them one bit. I don't know how you people put up with what you put up with. Um, and if, if you were to quit today, I, I think you would have achieved a lot. Like there are a lot of, whether you choose to believe it or not, there are a lot of people who love your songs and, and love you and, and you've had an effect on people's lives. I think you've had a great career. And I think, I think it means something, all that you've done, but you're still out there doing it and you still are getting better at it. Like you're still finding new ways to, to make it interesting. And and I, th- I don't know. I just think that's to your credit. And again, it's, it just kind of amazes me because I know that I would have quit. <laughs> I would have quit long ago. Right. You, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I don't know if we talked about this, but like <clears throat> a couple of years ago, <clears throat> I found out that I was dyslexic. And, and so I never knew, I never knew why I was a moron in school, but <clears throat> I just, I just figured I was just a straight up, just you know, like, and I'm not even trying to like, I guess I'm trying to be funny, but I'm not really trying to be funny either. It's like, I was just, I never had, I never had, a, I never had plan B. There was nothing else I could do. And I know people say, oh, if I wasn't doing music, I'd be in jail. And that's kind of the line that, you know, I'm sure my North Star Motley Crew would have said back in the day. But, 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 and I don't think I would have ended up in jail, but there was nothing else I could do. Like, I just remember getting, I remember like in April or May of my grade 12 year and everybody was planning where they're going to go to school. And I just thought, I, I, I haven't had a mark over 51 this year. I can't, I'm not going to be going to any school, you know, and it just wasn't, I just, I just assumed I would just, at some, I would get a, I would get a gig playing guitar for some band. And I did, I got a gig like two weeks out of high school. There was a band that rolled, was rolling through Bonneville and I auditioned, got the gig and, um, you know, got fired, but I got the gig. But even that was kind of a, like, wasn't hockey original plan? Like if you had your, if you'd had your way, yeah. you would have been a hockey player, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was, that was probably, that was probably, yeah, that was plan. That was, that was plan A for sure was to be a hockey player. And you know what? I wasn't a bad hockey player, um, but you know, probably no better, maybe a little better than the average hockey player, but certainly not, um, you know, I don't know who would have been coming into the NHL at the same, my, at my age, but Theo Fleury would have been in that same age group. Um, but I, I was not, you know, I was, I was a good hockey player, but I'll tell you what happened. I had a, I, I you know, wrenched my knee and, and it wasn't like a career-ending knee injury, but I turned into, I became gun-shy. I turned into a chicken shit. I wouldn't go into the corners anymore. And uh, it changed the way I played hockey. And and um, and so did my my uh, position on the team. I went from being starting line to, we'll call you, you know, because I just, I just, I didn't like, I, I was scared to hurt my knee again. And I never had to have surgery or anything, but I did, I was, it just, it had a a, uh, a mental impact. Now, when I play hockey, it doesn't even cross my mind that I wrench my knee. I just don't even care anymore. You sort of forget about it. But it took me. It took you know my. But my next two years of hockey, after I wrenched my knee, uh, you know there was a committee going on upstairs every time I stepped on the ice. But so, and sports psychology yeah. wasn't a big thing at the time. You couldn't just go and get that That's fixed, right. eh? You know what? You're absolutely right. But I didn't, yeah, because I didn't pick up the guitar until I was almost seventeen. Really? Yeah. Like never yeah. touched it. 
never touched him. So what, what made you do that? And, and why, like, was it love at first strum or? Yeah, it certainly was. It's first squeak. Just the way, just dragging my fingers across the strings and hearing that, that squeak as you slide your fingers back and forth across the strings. You know, um, yeah, it really was. And it was uh, my mom's 40th birthday. So it would have been March 18th or the Saturday closest to March 18th, 1985. And um, so she had a, we're in New Brunswick. It was our, our last March in New Brunswick before we moved to Bonneville, <clears throat> Alberta. And um, she um, had a birthday party. It was, her, it was her 40th birthday party. So she had a bunch, 40th birthday. So she had a bunch of, a bunch of pals from school and stuff over and somebody brought a guitar. Um, and, um, and then the next morning on Sunday morning, I, I got up and it was like the fir- kind of like the first day of spring break. March break and uh, you know, everybody had gone home, but whoever brought the guitar forgot the guitar there, probably left it in a drunken stupor. And uh, it sat there in its case all, all day Sunday. And then on Monday, which was the first official day of March break, I guess I was bored to tears and I wasn't playing hockey that year. Cause my knee was botched. And, um, and so I just I said, ah, screw it. And I just I cracked open the case and there, it was a Washburn guitar. And and inside the case with the you know with the guitar was a Beatles songbook with the pictures of the chords and I thought well what the hell I'll see I'll just see if I can learn how to play She Loves You and uh, I just I went crazy and you know within a couple of weeks I had pictures of Eddie Van Halen on my wall and Randy Rhodes <laughs> you know and uh, and that was it I was off and running and uh, that was in March of. Um, March of 1985. And by August of 1985, we moved to Bonneville. And that's when I met Ernie. And, um, and uh, I had started to reinvent myself at that point. When I got to Bonneville, I had started to reinvent myself as the, you know, as a guitar player. And like, were you, were you a big music lover before that? Or what was that when you started learning about music as well? No, no point A to point B. Really? You know, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a couple of tapes. I had, I could tell you, I mean, my first tape was Kiss Alive, which I think everybody's was. My next tape would have been Men at Work, Business as Usual. And my next tape after that would have been uh, Kiss, Creatures of the Night. Uh, actually, I'm wrong. So my first, my first tape was Kiss Alive. My second tape was Kiss Unmasked. Then it would have been uh, Men at Work, Business as Usual. Then Kiss Creatures of the Night, then Men at Works. Uh, the next album I would think was called Cargo. And uh, and then, um, uh, that would have been 82, 83, something like that. Um, I think I had a Chilliwack record or cassette, I should say, or 82, 83. Yeah, in around there. So like what Rod Stewart album had that song, Young Turks. I liked that song a lot. Oh my God, that just hit me. Like I was in, oh, Billy left us home with a dollar in the pocket and his head to his feet. Yeah, man. He said, somewhere, somewhere else gotta be better. I just, I love that song. So that's, but, but that back then I wasn't buying tapes. Those, but I had those cassettes, but I was just taping the top 40. Like to the point where I, when I hear, when I hear Young Turks, I can still hear the DJ introducing the song because that was the version that, that was what I had taped. You know, just so it's the DJ, you know, 
introducing the song and um so those would have been the, that would have been it and then you know and then so 83 thriller i would have had i would have had thriller for sure um and uh melon camps uh-huh i remember that i had that i had that tape it's funny how that one still travels with me to this day you know but i wasn't no i wasn't but i was far from like a a, a music connoisseur um but and then you know 85 is when i when i got into it and i i can remember there's a couple there was a couple moments like uh in november of 84 i would have bought reckless brian adams reckless and that was my first year of really buying really buying cassettes on a regular basis so i would have bought 84 i i would have been 15 going on turning 16 84 i bought huey lewis uh, uh was that was that sports i bought that i bought that tape yep i bought uh i think it was called camouflage rod stewart camouflage uh i bought um i bought obviously 1984 um those would have been the big ones for sure that would have been the big stuff and then you know what else was 84 uh, uh scorpions by that point i was starting to get into that stuff but i still wasn't playing the guitar or anything you know so i kind of had of an idea but it's funny because like I'm I'm using this now to sort of go okay this is this is how I go back and write my stories I start I start going into my head that way and so what was I listening to and I'll I'll go I'll go listen to those songs while I'm while I'm writing my stories just to get me get even further back into it. At what point do you go from picking up the Beatles and wanting to play Beatles songs to being wanting to write your own songs? Was was that a quick thing for you wanting to? It was very quick. Yeah. Very quick. Yeah, I wrote my first song before the end of that year. Was it any yeah. good? And I, um, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was it? Did it what come do you out? Think? <laughs> no, it never did come out. Oh. No, no. Um, uh, but I'm sure it was fine for yeah. like, you know, a 16 yeah. year old kid, you know. Um, but uh, I had also had, I had also bought uh, Born in the USA. That was my first Springsteen tape. I bought that in January of 85. Um, and so, but I remember reading a Springsteen interview in some magazine, because I was not even a Springsteen, I mean, I bought Born in the USA, but that was just because I remember, I think I liked Dancing in the Dark. But I, the, the old guy dancing in the video, I'm like, who's this guy? I can remember, I can remember thinking that, what is he doing? You know, because I mean, at that point, he would have been 1984, he would have been 35 years old. That's ancient. You know, think of that. Think how, think how ancient that guy would have seemed to like a 16 year old. But I remember reading uh, a Springsteen interview. And then I also remember um, it might have been like a Bon Jovi interview. And both of them kind of said the same thing, which is like, you can never start writing too soon. And um, and I just, for some reason, I I've never heeded any advice, but I heeded that advice. And I, I think I know why, because to this day I've, I'm still not. I don't. I mean, I could probably do a good Guy Clark cover, but there's not much else I'm very good at covering. Um, as far as like, man, you sound just like that guy. You know, I can I could probably sing I could probably sing the hell out of Pink Houses too if I needed to. But I just, but I wasn't very I wasn't very good at like. I could sing, you know, whatever. I could sing Johnny Be Good or whatever I needed to or Honeymoon Suite or anything. But I just, 
I just, I don't think I was ever, I'm still not that good of a guitarist. Uh, as far as like, I couldn't, I couldn't play a Panama at gunpoint. <laughs> well, that's why you need Dave Klim around. Yeah. Davey boy, Dave and I were talking this week actually. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I just, it didn't take me long to start writing. It didn't like, so I was 85. I started playing March of 85 by March of 86. I was, I was writing, you know, trying to write stuff, you know, a lot of, a lot of moon and June stuff. Um, and I'm still writing that, <laughs> but, um, and then by, um, by May of 87, I had sent my, so I'd been playing guitar for two years. I sent my first demo tape off to Warner brothers, uh, in Toronto. Yep. Pretty quick when you think about it. Did you feel like those were great songs at the time? Like, were you already oh, confident and absolutely. feeling like, yeah, you, I, you thought were onto were, something? I thought it was, Oh fuck yeah! I thought I thought I, I thought these were uh, there was a there was one song that I that I wrote it was called Streets of the Night, and um and man this was this was as good as this was this was the long and winding road as far as I was concerned it was that it was that good of a <laughs> so you know needless to say confidence has never been an issue of mine, um, but I can remember saying to my mom that when I sent that tape off I said well if they don't like it. These are the best songs I will ever write. There's, then there's no way I have, I, I don't have a chance. I can remember saying that. I wish I could tell, I'd like to take that back, but, but I was quite confident in the songs and um, you know what? They're, they're, I, I got a little, t- I still have the tapes and I've converted them and I'm converting. Like today I was, when, when you sent me uh when we caught, we were in touch earlier this afternoon. I said, I was digging around in the, one of the storage lockers. I, I was going through a bunch of uh, cassette tapes that that I need to get transferred over. Yeah. Are you putting together the and box I've, set? Is this going to come out on the box set? <laughs> that's right. Like that's right. in the early years. The, that's it. Yeah. The, the first thirty years. Yeah. But the first album comes together as songs from a northern town. I guess was the first one, right? Yeah. Well, when yeah, you ninety three. Are you still proud of those songs? Like, like, do you think those songs? still hold up yes yes they I, I think they do and i didn't think that for the long time really um no um i mean yeah um more than anything i wasn't thrilled with um um what happened we went in the studio and i was just so there was a whole lot of uh, what's this button do when i recorded that <laughs> album <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a nice light. Oh, I like that. Let's put that on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so there's a, there's a lot of, um, like if, you know, if I could find those master tapes, I'd like to remix that without any of the, without any of the, uh, you know, just the, the reverbs and stuff. I just, it was probably just, I was just too excited by the whole thing. But, um, and so and because of that, uh, the Jump Back Kerouac record, I went the other direction entirely no reverb no nothing no technology i don't want anything i just want this to sound whatever this whatever the snare drum would sound like in this room is what it's going to sound like i don't want it to doctor it and so it's a very dry sounding record by comparison and so then the third record would have been simplify and song and dance band and by that point i started to hit my stride but um when i did earlier this year i did those um whatever the revisited series there on youtube and um, so I was brushing up on the Northern Town record, and I thought, you know what? These are 
these are better songs than I'd given them credit for. They've held up. Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of those songs. Absolutely. Yeah, they're nice little stories. Um, you know, and I think I even said like in the liner notes or something or one of the, something I wrote about that record. Like if I could go back and talk to that guy, I'd say it's it's a lot longer road than you think. Uh, and you're not working on a cancer cure, so fucking lighten up, you know. But but you know, but that's that would be the big thing. Uh, like I've got I've got like this like these notes from back then, right when that record was coming out. Just kind of like sort of somebody said, you need to write down your goals for the next year. I'm like really? I said yeah yeah. And so I said okay. So I wrote down my goals, and I'm like oh my god, did I miss? I, I I didn't even hit the post. I didn't even I wasn't even in, I wasn't even in the on the on the ice. <laughs> but it's funny because it's just you know I was twenty three to twenty four years old, but it was like everything was like okay I'm gonna sell fifty thousand copies of this record by the end of the year and I'll be you know playing you know Jubilee auditoriums uh, for the next year and then I'll be onto the arenas, and I'm like who the who was I? You know, well, it happens to some people, you know, um, but, you know, I probably made a lot of mistakes as well, you know, so um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the big things for me was like, I, all I wanted to do was be a singer and songwriter and be on the road, and I didn't want to have to deal with anything else, and by doing, and because of that, um, I may have, um, you know, uh, uh, signed over responsibilities to other people that I probably shouldn't have, you know? And so, and because of that, I really, I, I annoy anybody who works with me now. Cause I don't, I don't let anything out of my sight. I don't I'm like, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. It's not going to happen. So like, you know, like I'm getting t-shirts designed by somebody and they're like, and I'm like, Hey, can we change it? And sorry, man, only, only, only three changes. Okay. How much do I owe you? Okay, here you go. Thank you. Now burn the design. Um, I need more than three changes. I, I did that. I did that last year. Just for a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I'm not signing off on it. I need this changed. So, yeah, fuck it. I don't care anymore, man, because it's like, if you're going to tell if I'm working with you and you say, sorry, we, there's only three changes. No, there's actually as many changes as I need. And if you need to charge me for it, fine. But... And so I just don't even buy. So like, no, then I'm just going to, I'll learn to do it myself. Okay. I, I want to go back to something. You said that you recently found out uh, that you were dyslexic. What, like what led you to that? And what, what was sort of, I'm, I'm really curious because I, I don't know nearly enough about, about that condition. So, so what, I mean, what was wrong? What, 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 what how has this been a problem in your life? And then what led to finding out? Well, there's a couple things. So it's been a problem for me since fifth grade. Um, and it's interesting because like I write my little stories and I've probably read a couple of them and I, and, 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 but I run it through this, this app called Grammarly. I don't know if you know that, but so I, I, I just run everything, just make sure I got punctuation and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, just, to, just to make sure. And, um, and it sort of goes through and says, you might want to say, hey, maybe change this, do that. This comma should be here, or, you know, whatever. You get rid of that comma. Or what's with the three dots? You know, all that kind of stuff. But but one of the things it said to me, it said that I write um, at a fifth grade comprehension level. 
And <laughs> really? yeah. I've never clicked on that box, obviously. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was that judgmental. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's, like, it's very, it's like your, your writing is like, is easy to comprehend. Uh, it's at like a, you know, like a fifth grader could read it and understand what the hell was going on uh, when you, you know, when you wound up in a ditch in Amsterdam, <laughs> you know, there's, it's nothing's too cryptic. They, it could under, it's so. Well, that and, sounds like um, a plus. That's what I love about your stories is that they're to the point. Like there's. They're to the point. But it's, what's interesting about that is that that is when I started to get left behind was in fifth grade. So I was at the top of my class until fifth grade and then started to, you know, um, bog down a bit in grade five, grade six and grade started grade by November of grade seven. I got hauled into the uh, office and they said, Mike, you're going to fail. And I just I thought I just I couldn't believe it. I still thought I was at the top of the class. I just thought everybody was having a, a rough go. So you didn't know there was something wrong. No, no. And so and then that was it. And I just. And so I, I barely made it out of seventh grade, barely made it out of eighth grade, barely made it out of ninth grade, barely made it out of, actually, I didn't make it out of 10th grade. I failed math in, in uh, English um, in 10th grade, went to uh, summer school, failed them again, <laughs> uh, went to a, into grade 11 having to repeat um, uh, English 10 and math 10, failed them again. Um, yeah, I was just, I was dumber than a sack of hammers and I just didn't know. (laughs) It's not your fault, obviously. (laughs) I didn't know. And, uh, and so I just, uh, yeah, it was, I did. And so I, yeah, I failed math 10 three times in a row. And, um, and then in grade 11, my English teacher, um, during parent teacher interview told my mom that she thought I might be illiterate and that I should probably you know, and she was like, am I, you know, that I could probably, it might behoove me to like go to more like a, you know, a special, not special ed, but maybe it would be special. Ed. I don't become know. one of the sweat That's, hogs or what? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. What was his name? <laughs> Mr. C. Cotter. <laughs> yeah. Mr. It was a C or K. Cotter. Mr. C was from uh, happy days. Yeah. How do you spell Cotter? See, there's my K. dyslexia. Is that yeah. with a K or a C? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so. <laughs> Um, but so my mom, who was a school teacher, was not thrilled with that little tidbit of info with her that her my eleventh grade English teacher's opinion of me. Now looking back, she might have been on the on the on the nose there. I was starting to like I just couldn't fuck, I didn't I didn't finish a book. I didn't finish my first book till I was probably twenty two, twenty-three years old. Uh, and that was only when I was on the road and I had all and I would be playing for like in a town for six nights and I had he didn't have Instagram. He didn't have anything like that. So you'd just be sitting in a hotel for, you know, 20 hours a day. So I would buy a book and, you know, and read for 20 hours a day, you know, and probably read about five pages an hour is what it would be. Um, but I felt like I was a, a voracious reader. I was just really slow, you know. But so anyway, a couple of years ago, like I, I ended up taking a job, um, you know, at a, at a music store here in town, along in McQuaid, when the whole pandemic and everything really hit hard and all that kind of stuff, and there was all this kind of shit going on, and, and I knew I wasn't going to be doing a whole lot of touring, and I had to, and so I had to take these, I had to take these tests, um, you know, at for this to work at this store, 
And um, there's an aptitude test at Long and McQuaid. Pretty much. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just like you know, here you got to learn. How, you got to learn how this works, and you got to learn this, and all this, all these different shit. And um, so, like, I remember that. I remember them saying, um, "Hey, so you need to, you need to. Uh, we're gonna. It was like in the morning. They said, okay, read this. We're gonna go for lunch, and when we come back from lunch, there's gonna be a, a test, and there's like 25 questions, and you got to get like 20 of them right. Um, you know, and I got six. And I thought, what is my problem? I couldn't remember anything that I read. And I, and as I was reading, I knew I wasn't nothing. I wasn't retaining anything. But that's kind of the way I am because I have to read everything a half dozen times before it sinks. Um, like if we were to go to a restaurant right now, like I would read the first item on the menu, the second item on the menu, third item. I wouldn't remember what the first item was. I'd have to go back and read that again. And then I will just, I just eventually I would just say, I'll just, I'll have what Jeff's having. And hope like hell you didn't order sushi. <laughs> yeah, no problem there. Yes, it would be fine then. But that's what it would be. I just, it just, it doesn't stick. I have to read everything four or five, like every page. I have to read four or five times because, like, I'll be, I'll get halfway down a page and go, I don't remember anything I read. And so, instead of starting at the top of the page again, I'll go back a line, back a line, back a line, back a line, and go, Do I remember? And start reading now. I don't. Next thing, I've been like, I've been working on this page for ten minutes. But once I finish, once I finish a page, I know every word on it, and I can, and I can, and we could be talking about that book ten years from now. And you said, remember in that in the when you were reading the stand, I read the stand, and there was this scene. I said, oh yeah, that's page seventy six. Like I could tell you what I I know I know what 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 it was on the left page or the right side. I mean I know I just, but it takes me a long time to do to uh, devour it. So anyway, I called I called Jenny and I said, Jenny, I said Jenny, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but. I said I just I I said I got problems because this this was the first time I'd taken a test since high school, of which I never passed anything, um, and so you know I did you know a couple of Google searches for like undiagnosed adults with dyslexia and I ticked all the boxes. So, so we called you know called a couple of um, specialists and therapists here in Edmonton and I went for some tests and and. Um, you know, um, nowadays it's just be called like nowadays it's just called a learning disorder. They don't even call it dyslexia anymore. Um, that's kind of like that's kind of like just a catchphrase. It's just I, I have a learning disorder or disability. And um, and uh, well, well, you know, a little just a little bragging, but my my IQ is on the high, on the high side of things. But my ability to process is my ability to process was in the eighth percentile. So like zero percentiles dead. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, seventh percentile is probably I'm probably working at the bottle depot. <laughs> you know, and so it was like it was good because it shone a light on it. Just it finally like oh, that explains that explains uh, you know um, everything. So it explains everything. It's, it's just explain because I can get hyper focused on something like like music. Um, you know, um, and I can just be very flighty and not know what the hell is going on from time to time uh, or all the time. Um, you know, uh, lots of like, um, self-worth issues, all that kind of stuff. Like when I was in, I remember in ninth grade, this is crazy. When I was in ninth grade, you know, we you probably did this too. You had to take like an aptitude test. Yeah. So you took this, uh, took this fucking aptitude test and I'll never forget this. And I can't even believe that this would be, uh, 
on the on the aptitude list. so you take this test and, and it comes back and it's like and i remember everybody the next like you know we get the test back the next day or two days later and everybody's like man it says i should be an architect but it says, it says <laughs> yeah. i should be it said i should be a mathematician so i should be a doctor and it, and it was kind of like that episode of the halloween episode of charlie right I, I got this i got that. i got a rock <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it came back to me and it was and it was like um mine said i should be a handbag assembler <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the, like it says it's it, like working in a factory or 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 uh working in a factory or like or, or operating like machinery and and when it, it gave like an example like 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 uh, like uh, like a backhoe or a handbag <laughs> those are the examples it gave so needless to say by the time you know by the time i hit was at the end of ninth grade i was done with school it was there was no point uh, i was just done with it i just it and um you know i plod along and my you know my mom would go to parent teacher every year and say he's a good kid but he's just not here like he's just he doesn't raise it he doesn't doesn't cause any trouble at all it doesn't say anything you know or like my mom would say he wouldn't doesn't say he wouldn't say shit if he had a mouthful <laughs> and um <laughs> but he's just not here yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of it. Explained it explained a lot, and it just it was crazy. So, is there anything you can do about it, or does this does this help no. you going forward, or is it just good to know that it's it's just good not your fault? Like, yeah, yeah, it's just good to know. Like, I'm st- I still read a lot, but it's just I'm very slow. Like, if I read three pages a day, I mean that's that's a breakneck pace for me. You know, so like I can remember like when Jenny was getting her master's in music therapy, she's like, "Yeah, I got to review these four chapters." I'm like review like i wouldn't even have read those four chapters yet like i can remember that my english teacher saying okay so you need to re- you know review these chapters tonight and will be a test i'm like <laughs> jokes i haven't even read them yet you know and so the only thing i like any any correct answers i ever got in school was just what i managed to retain in class because there's no way i could i would be able to read it and retain it in the amount in the amount of time that they needed me to so it was a it was eye opening and um you know it doesn't really bother me but i but i catch my but now i see oh wow like and there's just like little things like when i like my brother pointed it out to me like he goes like when you go to sign your name you put your the pen on the on the page and then your hand just stays there for about three seconds before you actually engage in writing your name and I'd always notice that, but never really put two and two together. But that is by processing skills, not firing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. Huh. That's fascinating. But, yeah. It's, 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 it, 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 uh, it hit me over the head. You know, then I just sort of start searching, sniffing around and stuff. And you're like, wow, look at this. Steven Spielberg was 65 when he found out he was dyslexic. He just thought he was a, he was, he was a deliberate reader. No. No, he was slow. He said, like, he's like, and you're reading this. I could send you these links to this, his, his little dyslexic interview where he's like, he would read a script and, you know, somebody would read like, you know, a 90 page script in an hour and a half and it would take him a week. And he just thought it was because he was thorough. No, it had nothing to do with that at all. He's dyslexic, you know? And, um, and so, you know, I just, uh, 
it just like I said, it just answered a lot of questions for me. It didn't it didn't uh, help things by by any stretch, but I but I understand, you know, what's going on now to whatever extent. Well, it's amazing, and it, again, to me, it says like it just shows how much you've managed to accomplish, uh, you know, and yet you obviously haven't let it slow you down. You've you've done all right, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, I just feel like I've walked between the raindrops my entire adult life because I, I never had to take a test. I mean, I was lucky. It's true. I was lucky that I found something that I was I was okay, like I was actually pretty good at, you know. Like had I gone to college, man, I just I, it would have been. I would have got a dean's vacation by week two. You know, I was just, I was lucky that I was okay enough at music, and and also just um, you know so singularly focused on it that it just didn't even I just didn't matter. I just kept moving forward. All right. Well, another thing that I like to talk about on this show is kind of the the effect of the pandemic on on music, and uh, I'm really curious for you because once again you've you've sunk your heart and soul into a record that I know you're super proud of. You've been working on yep. Lonesome Stretch of Highway. You you think this is your best batch of songs ever and it's all ready to go and it's due to come out this is spring mm. of 2020, right? Yeah, man. Oh yeah, I had a radio tour book starting March 12th. I'm sorry for laughing. I know it's I know it's it's just so hard to believe, but it's either laugh at nothing or cry about it all, right? <laughs> there it is again. Cuz I mean it, it looks like it it looks like it's kind of a bit of a like you you're you're you've got this you've got record label support at the time, right? You've got yep. a bit of a team behind you. Everybody's excited yep. about this record. So at what uh-huh. what point do the wheels fall off? Oh, that's you know March 13th, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a smoldering wreck on the side of the road. <laughs> you know what's crazy? Uh, yeah, I was supposed to do this radio tour March 12th, and I believe that was the day that the NBA shut their season down. Um, I'm like, well, shit, this is crazy. And um, and then, the, but the record came out on May 22nd, and it got to number three on on iTunes. I've never had that before. Um, and, um, you know, they just kept in the radio and the, and the guys over at royalty, Rob Smith and the gang, they just kept releasing singles and said, screw, we're just going to keep working it. And it is, it's far and away the best, the best, um, um, best showing I've ever got, got at radio as far as like, um, you know, it just, it, it certainly generated, um, a lot of interest somehow. So how do you, how do you kind of pivot though, from having this tour lined up and, and, and all these plans for that record to not <laughs> having anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, no different than anybody else. I just, I knew that was where we were all, we we're all fucked. You know, were you one of those people that didn't think it was going to last very long or, or did you, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think it would be done by Easter. Like uh, maybe the president of the United States did, but, um, but I figured by summer we'd be up and out of it. I really did, you know, um, and I'm not even sure we're going to be up and out of it by next summer. Truly. Yeah. 
Yeah, like like I think I was saying earlier, I don't often wish my life away, but I'm excited to get a decade down the road, down the road, just to see, to be able to look back on this with some sort of clarity. You know, because it's it's crazy. But yeah, again, I'm just I don't worry about it. Somehow you become like for me, like the king of streaming shows all of a sudden, and and how did that come about? Like because. Again, I sort of think of you as this guy who belongs on stage with that immediate feedback from an audience. And then you became one of my favorite live streamers. You certainly became one of the most prolific. You were going live every week for a long, long time. Yeah, I did, I think, 34 in a row. I think 34 Sundays and probably 25 uh, Wednesdays. So was that was that weird at first or did you just, did you kind of take to that really quickly too? I did take to that pretty quickly. Uh, I, I did go kicking and screaming. I didn't want to do that because I watched enough streams to, to, um, to uh, you know, I mean, I, I just, I felt like, oh my, like there were so many that were just awful. That's all there is. That's all there is. That's all I can say. I mean, they were just awful. The sound was awful. The camera angle was awful. The lighting was piss poor. And, and the performance in the songs were mediocre. And I'm like, I am not going to be one of those guys. So I thought, okay, if I'm, if I'm doing this, um, people might be able to com- complain about the, say that the songs aren't up to snuff, but they're not going to complain about the sonic, uh, sonically or, or, the, or the way it looks. You know, so I said, screw it. I'm going to go buy, I'm going to buy a decent camera. I'm going to get some lights. I want to buy some good mics. So at least I know that it sounds good out front and I would, and I would do epic long sound checks. I would, I'd be up at like six in the morning. If it was like from the nine o'clock Sunday morning shows, I would do, I would just be, I would be sound checking. I would record it. Okay. How's that look? And then I'd watch it back and listen back. Okay. No, that microphone needs to be moved. That light needs to be moved because it's washing everything out. It, it had to be. It's the same way. It's like it's the same as like when I do a show. Like I need, like I, I, I like knowing um, that I am well represented out front, and so it's quite, it's, it's quite often more than worth it to, uh, to travel with a sound man if he can, you know. So because at least I know that, you know, you know the songs, you know, and not even trying to be like a, 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 a smartass. Well, maybe a bit, but it's like the songs may not be any good, but at least I know it sounds good. Do you know what I mean? And that's true, though. It's like I like I just need to know that sonically I'm being represented properly. And uh, whether you know people don't like the show, it's because I played poorly or the songs weren't what they were looking for. As as opposed to yeah, songs were good, but man, did it sound awful. I would rather it be the opposite, you know. So so I put before I started going really gangbusters on that. I'm I it had to be top. It had to be as top shelf as I could make it. Um, and, um, I feel like I accomplished that. I was, I, I put a lot of work into that. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was all worth it because like you said, I watched so many streams that were not done right. You just, you can't just set up your phone and, and hope for the best. Um, it doesn't matter how good your songs are. If it sounds and looks terrible, it's not worth watching. Yeah. And I, and I had a big problem when I would see it. I'm like, I'm like, and, and you could tell it was just the mirror image of the guy. It's like, you're okay, well. Don't wear a T-shirt with lettering on it because it's written backwards now. So at least be mindful of that, <laughs> you know. But um, but there is a you know, and I haven't done one now since June, I guess. And I'm and um, so do you miss it? Like you miss being on stage? 
I there was uh, there was there was more stress doing those than there was doing a live show for sure. Just because you were in charge of more, or what? Like it was more. No, because I, I I didn't know if it, like there was. I mean, there was a couple shows where the where you know the internet dropped out, or you know just just things like that would happen, or I would get this message. I'd be singing, and I would, this message would come up on the screen. You couldn't see it because you're. But what well, I could see, and it was said, you know, you know, uh, you know, running out of data, or not running out of data, but uh, you could you could see like the. The uh, you know the the Wi-Fi signal shrinking. I'm like, what is happening? And I want to yell at my family, get off the fucking internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just anything like that. So it just that would just be going. That would be driving me crazy in the back of my mind. But but uh, I'm you know I'm I'm pondering firing it up again. I um we'll see. I, I I'll probably wait until I get back from this you know run out to Winnipeg here, and maybe do some stuff through November and December. I don't know. I'm in an apartment building now too. So it's like, I can't be yelling at the top of my lungs without, you know, worrying about annoying my neighbors, but I did like it. You're, you're also somebody like you, you never really asked for money during them. You didn't really push the tip jar or nope. anything. You nope. never had a paid stream. You did some amazing like album series shows that I gladly would have, you know, paid admission for. And you never, you never no. did that. What like, what, what was that? Was it just the need to perform or? No, it was not the need to perform. It was the need to, um, well, I mean, I, I mean, I would just be, if, if I wasn't streaming a show, I would have been sitting around playing the guitar anyway. So, but, but I just, I couldn't, I just, I, I just felt, I just felt wrong with my hand out. I just couldn't do it. Now, I did have like I had like a little buy mic a coffee thing. So if somebody felt like they wanted to click and give me five bucks, I, I would never say no. But I could I couldn't I couldn't sell tickets to that. Couldn't do it. In fact, my my eyes still roll and my blood boils when I see way more better, well known, financially secure bands than me doing that. And I'll leave it at that. Well, but um, I know I've, I've, I've had, I understand the pride that you're talking about, but at the same time, like there are people who love you and want to support you and would gladly show you oh, that absolutely. by buying tickets to this thing or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not charity. It's like. No, I know, but I would rather have people watch it and, and the, the, the link was there. They could click on it. And, and you know what? I surprisingly, I, I did pretty good every, every show, you know? I mean, good for me. I mean, you know, sometimes you make like, oh, shit, I made 300 bucks today. You know, people, you know, so that, 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 that but I was fine with that. But having to, having to ding somebody 10 bucks or whatever it was, for, I, I, I couldn't do that. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons is, is pure ego. Because like, what happens if only six people pay 10 bucks to see the show? When I had 150 people watching it the other day, you know, I'm like, uh, I, I just, then I would just, I would just, I'm not sure my, my ego would, would uh, could take that. So I would rather just say, you know what, if you want to just watch it and if you dig it, great. And if you, and if you feel like bad, you know, throwing five bucks my way, great. If you don't, that's okay too. I'm glad you're here because nobody, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you didn't call any of your friends and say, man, if you want to see a fucking train wreck, tune into the plume show today. <laughs> no, but I, <laughs> right? I did about, I did about some other people, <laughs> not yours. Well, thank right. God. But you know what I mean? Though. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that, that's important to me. 
and that was my that, and that's the kind of the same thing I, way I am with like streaming like well i think streaming is, is is gonna just be a cash cow in the in years to come it's just not quite there yet but you know but when people are you concerned about people streaming your music for no and you're only making like a third of a penny for every stream i'm like i don't know man like nobody ever said hey you got to go stream this song it's the biggest piece of shit you've ever heard i don't think that's the case you know people say you got to check out this song people so they hop on spotify listen to the song and, and then hopefully my tour dates pop up along along beside the song and say oh look he's playing at the park in winnipeg on on october 19th well shit we gotta go and i'll and then i'll sell him a coffee mug or something Even though the pandemic stopped his promotional and touring plans short, Mike's album Lonesome Stretch of Highway received some of the best reviews and got some of the most attention of all of his albums. He's only now able to start getting out to perform these songs and sell some copies of that great album. He had a number of shows planned for this month, but many of the dates in Saskatchewan had to be postponed due to new health restrictions in that province. Luckily, he's still got a show planned for right here in Winnipeg at the newly renovated Park Theatre on October 19th. If you're in town, or even if you want to travel from out of town, I hear there's people traveling from all over the place for this thing. Tickets are available through Eventbrite, and I'll put a link to those at flywithyourshadow.com. Check Mike's website, mikeplume.com, for other shows and updates. I've got a whole lot more of my chat with Mike and a bunch of music to share on my other show, Tell the Band to Go Home, probably on the October 10th and 17th episodes. You can find and follow that show at tellthebandtogohome.com. You can find out more about the music used in this episode and find other episodes, and you can join our mailing list at flywithyourshadow.com. I'm always really glad to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, just email me at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. As always, this show is ad-free. It costs you absolutely nothing. If you want to support the show, please share this episode with someone who might enjoy it. Your help would be greatly appreciated. I'll be back next week with another stellar episode. I'm really excited about this one. I hope you'll join me then. I'm Jeff Robson, and I thank you for listening. I hope you've got something out of the show, and I hope you'll join me again on the next episode of Fly With Your Shadow. Baby, hey, 